Okay, this is Sunday. It's August 22nd. It's 2010. Our message is Yemei Ratzon. This is Hebrew. Yemei, Y-E-M-E-I, Ratzon, R-A-T-Z-O-N. means the days of favor. Before we get into the message, Y-E-M-E-I, next word, R-A-T-Z-O-N, Yemei Ratzon. Now, with all Hebrew words that we share from this pulpit, I'm at best a country bumpkin from the southern half of the United States and not at all uh, a linguist. I love Hebraic roots, and so I study it, and we do our very best to pronounce these things, and I share them with you unashamedly, but I want to tell you, when you hear them spoken from native speakers, there are often a great many more sounds and nuances in them than when you hear them from me. I don't feel bad, though, because in Israel, you could tell where a man was from by the way that he spoke his Hebrew words. What is Jesus in the South of the United States. <laughs> in northern Israel and Galilee was Yesu. Yesu. In the southern part of Israel, it was Yeshua. And they're the exact same word. They had as radical pronunciation differences as Lyndon Johnson had with uh, Robert F. Kennedy. Okay? I mean, that's just... If you've ever been to the northeastern part of the United States then spend some time in Louisiana, you scarcely think you're speaking the same language. But before we get into this message, which I believe is going to be a blessing to us all, I want to encourage you and maybe even correct you all at the same time. We are in a special season in our church. I feel the Holy Spirit as strongly in this room today as I have at any point in my entire life. And I believe that what is happening is he is circumcising the hearts of the willing. That he is cutting away flesh. That he is cutting away fruitless deeds. That he is cutting away distractions. He's fixing our attention deficit problem. I want to encourage you to let the Holy Ghost do his work in your life. Pride will equal disgrace for you. And I have this correction for those of you that are standing stiff-necked to the movement of the Holy Spirit, this is the great sin of mankind. The great sin of mankind is not that they don't acknowledge Jesus. Even Muslims and Mormons do that. It's that they do not obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you have a chance to be circumcised in your heart before Him, or you have a chance to be circumcised out of His heart. As we move forward in this, I believe that the Lord spoke to us through a prophecy. Not the imagination of men, but a prophecy. I believe that it is time for the bride of Christ to adorn herself with the righteous acts of the saints. I believe that. I heard a man speaking here recently, and it has moved my heart, because something deep in me in ways that I didn't know agrees with it. He said, how dare you pastors, how dare you preachers, say that the body of Christ is divided. How dare you say that the church is worldly. He said, how dare you say that the church has the same divorce rate as the world. How dare you 
say that the bride of Christ is acting like a harlot. He said, how dare you? You are so biblically illiterate, you are so devoid of the Spirit of God that you've not learned to tell the difference between that which is His church and that which is not. The Bible says that the church of the living God is a pure and spotless bride. And you need to be careful how you speak about the bride of the Lamb. Many times what we're saying when we say these things is that we don't have the courage to tell the difference between a goat and sheep. Because the goats make up the majority and they sit in our congregations and our pastors do their very best to make them happy so that there are enough butts and seats. I have no interest in that. None. And I am telling you with all the authority of the Spirit of God if you are not interested in your life becoming a blaze for Jesus, He will carve you right out of this fellowship. I won't do it. He will do it. If you think I'm targeting you, you need to know that the Holy Ghost has got your home address, your phone number. He doesn't text you. He's speaking to you right now through your pastor. I believe that this is serious time. And yet it is glorious time. I heard a warning that I cannot help but jump into. If my wife was in Walmart and a man was abusing her, or two men, or five or ten, and you walked by while this was happening, and you did nothing, I tell you the truth, I would not only look for those ten men, I would look for you as well. Do not stand by while the bride of Christ is spoken of in an unholy way. Do not stand by and contribute to the madness that has called evil good and good evil all around us. Make your calling, your election secure. Stand before Him having worked this out with fear and trembling and then have the courage to believe what the Bible says about you. That you are a pure, spotless bride, free from accusation. We shy away from this and we put up with the idea that we're tainted because it allows us to be tainted. It cannot be so. We began preaching some weeks ago and all of our messages had a repentance theme. This was not by my design. We filled our altars with people getting their life right and yet if an emotional gushing at an altar is all that has come of it, you have failed. Because our church loves the Hebrew culture, loves the culture that gave us the scripture, the culture designed by God itself. We've taught and people in the church have responded. And so I got a text this week that said, have you had a chance to look at the Hebrew calendar? Well, the truth is, is it comes up on my desktop of my computer every day. But like so many things that are familiar to us, because we see them every day, I missed its significance. We're in the month right now of Ul, E-L-U-L. It is the sixth month in the Hebrew calendar. From the first of Ul to the tenth of Tishri marks the season of God's favor because it is characterized by repentance. Isn't that amazing? From the time that God began moving upon us 
to begin preaching about repentance in all of its various ways, getting your relationship right with the Lord. We are actually in the season of the Hebrew calendar where all of Israel for thousands of years now has set aside this time and no other and pushed everything out of their way to prepare their hearts. Well, why is it the time of favor if the whole nation is in repentance? Because repentance always precedes power. Always. We've been preaching this until you may even be deaf of hearing it. And yet I'm not nearly about to stop. It's the tenth of Ul today, the year 5,770. This is 5,770 years according to the rabbinic calendars since man was put upon this earth. The clock is ticking. The timelines have been set. The promises are absolutely sure. I'm telling you that the Bible that you have in your laps, in your hands, is every bit as big as any revivalist that has ever lived. It is the same promise. And you must take and own your place in this time. There will be one question asked of you on that day before any other. Did you fulfill God's purpose for your life? You will not be able to say, but my boyfriend did this. You will not be able to say, but my parents are my pastor. Blah, blah, blah. Did you fulfill God's purpose in your life? There is nothing else that is worth living for. I have to tell you that we have protected ourselves too much. We've made sure that we've slept enough. We've made sure that we have enough money, that we have enough to eat. We've made sure in every area that we've insulated ourselves from anything that would hurt. And so we have missed what it means to be broken and contrite before God and feel His power flowing through your veins. I could look in Matthew's eyes while he was worshiping today and the man was worshiping and God was upon him in a way that is special. That happens when you find the very end of your physical limits. That happens when God stretches you in a place through your obedience that you would not normally go. This is how He teaches us. Don't insulate yourself from it. He wants to fill those who are being emptied. The church has fallen into a dangerous, dangerous trap. The Word says to he who has been given much, much is required. If we sit and soak and sit and soak and sit and soak and blame our inadequacies upon God not being able to fulfill His calling in our lives, we've done something that is horrible. We're in the month of Ul. I told you that it was the sixth month that it begins 40 days of repentance. This is a pretty interesting thing. When Israel came out of Egypt, God changed their calendar. It was the month of Nisan, and God said that it would for them be the first month. Well, when you look at the number of days to the next major pilgrimage feast, it's 50 days. That happens to be the time and period in which Moses was first ascending Mount Sinai. Shavuot. I'll teach you about these things in great detail at other times. My point here is Moses was standing on a specific day in front of the mountain. He ascended it for 40 days. Then he comes down. He finds revelry. The Ten Commandments, the tablets are broken. He reascends the mountain and intercedes for the people. If you're going to blot them out, Lord, blot me out too, he said. God said, I'll deal with them for their sin. Nobody knows how long he was on the mountain, but the Jews say that he was there for 40 more days. 
He comes back down. There's punishment divvied out for the people. God strikes the people with a plague, Exodus says. We also have the grinding of the calves and all of those things. He reascends the mountain. During that reascension, we don't know how long he was there, but he got the Ten Commandments and the Jews say he was there 40 days. When you begin to add up these days and you look at how they fall on the Jewish calendar, it begins with Pentecost, divine revelation. And it ends on the Day of Atonement. These days are important. Look at Jeremiah 3 for me. In Jeremiah 3, we're going to begin in the 12th verse and stop whenever the Lord should leave. Go proclaim this message towards the north. Jeremiah 3.12 Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. How excited would you be to hear that if you were separated from the power of God? I will not be angry with you forever. We acknowledge that you're faithless, but return to me. Only acknowledge your guilt, that you have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods. That's not an easy thing to admit to. I don't think you have to read too deeply into that text to see we're talking about something more than sending foreign God flowers. Repentance is an ugly thing. And yet it is a beautiful thing. All too often in the church as people get born again, as people say that they repent, we've made it so incredibly easy. You don't name it. You don't make restitution for it. You don't rededicate your life in a way that walks the other direction from it. All we simply do is say, I didn't live God's best for me. And I repent. Look at what God did. He named for them faithlessness. Prostitution with foreign gods. He said that they did this under every spreading tree. And that they had not obeyed Him. Was not enough. That they had no faith. Was not enough that they played the harlot with foreign gods. It was not enough that this was rampant and on every hill and under every spreading tree. They also did not do the things that God told them to do. It is just as much sin standing before God to have done something that you should not do as to refuse to do what you know you should do. And while lives may look absolutely pristine, you may count out a tenth of every spice that you have in your house and tithe based on that. Well, you may walk around looking holy in every outward appearance, although not much different from any other moral sect, at least those outwardly moral. The better question is not, did you commit a sin? But are you sinning before the living God by refusing to do what His Spirit said to do? We walk up after a time of worship and say, Oh, I had a word and I didn't give it. And you think that's okay? We pass 
pacify our conscience by passing it through someone else. If God gave it to you, why would you give it to someone else to give? You embarrassed of it? We must do exactly what the Lord says. Listen to these next verses. This is so important. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. The Lord, the God of Israel, called Israel his wife. He said he was her husband. This will make you think very differently about how you judge your relationships, won't it? Have you been as faithful to the Lord as you expect your friends, your loved ones, to be faithful to you? Because the same measure that you use towards them, God will absolutely use towards you. He will pay it back into your life. For this reason, mercy ought to be the rule in every person's life. I stood and repented before the altar for pointing out brother's sin where God had not told me to point out their sin. Who am I to judge another man's servant? I had to stand and repent in here today for that. When's the last time that even crossed your mind? I will choose you, one from a town, two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, men will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all nations, this is Goyim, this is all Gentiles, will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. They will no longer follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. This scripture is focused upon in the Jewish nation during the month of Ul. One of the reasons that it is focused upon is because they see the opportunity to repent as a great day of favor, as if you were given a gift. Wow. I've lived long enough now to notice people cannot repent when they want to. I have watched people play in sin so long that even though in their mind they would like to come back, their flesh has such a stranglehold upon them. That unless God break through in some special way, there is no hope. Ensnared. Entrapped. Friends, when it occurs to you, not just in a worship service, but in a parking lot. Not just in a parking lot, but in your bedroom. Not just in your bedroom, but in your workplace. The moment it occurs to you to repent, if you stiff arm that, you may never get another chance. We've acted as, as if God's description is more like Santa Claus than a holy and righteous God who demands holiness of us. This whole nation was preparing for something. Here, the husband speaks and says, I have been a husband to you and you have been faithless to me, but I will take you back. Turn with me to Ezra. sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, he's one of those preachers. Yes, I am one of those 
preachers. I heard another man say, and I'm very blessed to have heard it, are you beginning to understand why I speak lots of places once? <laughs> Saints, if we can begin to grasp what I'm about to share here, if I can actually get it to permeate my life the way that it's permeating my spirit right now, if it'll show up in my deeds in the way that it is dominating my thoughts and permeating my heart, this will be one very bad day for the devil. Amen. 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 Then Hill said the problem with our churches is they want to be raptured from responsibility. Let us take responsibility today for the high calling that is upon us, the bride of Christ. When I was a young and zealous man with absolutely no knowledge, it did not take as much as a wrong glance towards my wife. And no matter who the offending party was, whether it was real or imagined, there could be extreme reactions. Jesus fights for you this day. He fights for you because the truth is, His bride is spotless. And if you will not be spotless, you will not be His bride. Ezra 8. Look at verse 8. I wonder if it's Nehemiah. I have to check something real fast. Sorry, turn with me to Acts 11. <laughs> wow. In Acts 11, I want you to hear these verses. It will be verse 15 on down. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as He had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as He gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Before I read this next verse, the setting here is Peter is recounting what happened at Cornelius' house. He's recounting people's divine encounter with the Spirit of the living God. And listen to the response of the people when they heard that the Holy Spirit had come upon the Gentile believers. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles' repentance unto life. It is a gift to come to a place where you realize my life must take a different direction. Not always in the giant steps, sometimes in the little ones. I have been walking out of Walmart and realized that I did not pay for a gallon of milk. This is not legalism, saints. Those of you that know me carefully know that it can be a huge stumbling block just how far my life is from legalism. 
But when the Holy Ghost says, turn around and go back, who am I to say differently? When you set it in front of the cashier and they don't want to take it back because it is more hassle to take it back than it was just to let it go. It makes no difference. So why would God care about a gallon of milk? I want to tell you, He doesn't. He cares about your obedience. These people were granted the opportunity. And what were they doing? They were fasting and praying and waiting for Peter to arrive. Cornelius had built a memorial in heaven, and it was said that they were granted the opportunity to repent. And yet we have so, with our parlor tricks and our ridiculous magician's tricks in church, we have so cheapened this that we beg people to repent and tell them any second it can happen, you just have to be willing to accept Jesus. No, friends, Jesus has to be willing to accept you. Powerful thought. We live to get at the moment at an altar where we stand with someone and say, Won't you accept Jesus? Without any thought as to whether or not they have dug in their hearts to find out whether they are acceptable to Him. There's a place in my heart that has grown with affection for those that were born again outside of our religious system. And the reason is because our religious system has boiled this down to a three-minute counseling session and then sending someone out saying they're saved. I heard a man from a denomination that I've never been particularly fond of preach in a powerful way. He was speaking to other pastors. And he said, the Lord God has given you authority to teach people about salvation. He's given you authority to teach people about Him. When did He give you authority to declare that people were saved? He said, this must come out of their hearts. God's Spirit must bear witness with their spirit. Where in the Bible is the sinner's prayer written? Where does God boil it down to a nursery rhyme instead of an agonizing heart decision that causes you to be crucified with Christ so that you can walk with Him? We're taking infants out of the womb, spiritually speaking, before their lungs and heart and eyes and minds have developed and then wonder why they don't walk right. But we don't care because it's more butts and seats. You can live in church in horrible sin. And if you put dollars in the plate and never make a physical outward ruckus, most Christians will never have a face-to-face meeting with their pastor. Never. This is not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is in daily communion with Him by His Spirit. The body of Christ is a remnant among wolves. It is a gift to be able to repent. Turn with me to Numbers 5 5. The Lord said to Moshe, Say to the Israelites, I'm sorry, I've got this very white, deep voice thing going. That no sleep. It's not a, it's not a put on. I can't stop it right now. Matt, we should sing "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot." 
Papa, Ma. No, that's a different song. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When a man or woman wrongs another in any way, and is so unfaithful to the Lord, somehow or another we've gotten the idea that something can happen between two brothers and it is not between us and the Lord. Somehow or another, we've got the idea that that's just my boss. It makes no difference. Somehow we've gotten the idea that it's just the person sitting next to you in traffic. It makes no difference. After all, I have a personal relationship with the Lord. I want to tell you something. You do and you don't. Personal would sometimes imply exclusive. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can be personally involved with someone, but not be exclusively Involved with them. And when we say personal with the wrong meaning, what we tend to be saying is, He is my Jesus. Well, what about the other person? He's the God of Israel, and you have been grafted into their community if you have the faith of Abraham. You never relate to God simply on an individual basis. Our individualism has run so rampant that we have no idea what it is as a community to interact with Him. This would be as ridiculous as your pinky trying to have a conversation with your brain without the rest of the body involved. Can you imagine... Whoever has a dominant hand that is a right hand, and the right hand writes the checks, and the left hand is jealous because it never gets to write the checks, and it fights and fights and fights until it does, and then the bank sends the check back because the signature is not recognizable. God has proportioned to each one of us a function within the body, and it is not an individual basis. It is an intermingling. It is an interdependency. And the Holy Spirit weaves it together if we do not build castles for ourselves and simply attend meetings in the same building with other people. We've done this to the point that it no longer hurts our heart that people have no water on the other side of the earth. We've done this to the point that we will buy hundreds and hundreds of Christian books when others don't have a Bible because of our personal relationship. Where is your communal relationship with the Lord? Saints, there is room in every one of our lives for improvement in this area. When anything is wrong between us and a brother, something is wrong with us and God. That person is guilty and must confess. The sin he has committed must confess sin, must confess the sin He's committed. Somebody who did not know better, and it will be my responsibility to teach them, sat down and said, I really screwed some things up, and I'm sorry, and I repent. So that is not repentance. What do you mean you really screwed some things up? Why don't you tell me about them? Tell me about the details of them. Well, I'm ashamed. You should be ashamed. You should be. Who told you that repentance and sinning was easy? It causes death. And then gives birth to life. Repentance involves crucifixion and resurrection. And you cannot have one without the other.
the sin he has committed, he must make full restitution for his wrong and add one-fifth to it and give to the person he has wronged. One of the best New Testament examples of this is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had wronged people. He knew this. So his repentance didn't just involve saying that he had wronged people. It involved paying them back. When is the last time somebody got born again and tried to pay back people that they wronged? When is the last time a Christian said that they repented and showed it through their actions by trying to restore what was broken? We said, no, 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 but the Lord has paid the price for me. Yes, that's why you are not on fire in hell right now. Does that really mean that you do not try to restore your brother's property, your brother's reputation? The feelings of your friend? Where no restitution can be made, number says the restitution belongs to the Lord. You may be like me and you had some inventive ways of doing evil and it is not even possible to make restitution. You live the rest of your life in debt to the Lord who paid for that for you. We're so entitled. We're so personal. Entitled, I mean, all of the grace, all of the grace has fallen upon me no matter what I do. Really? Talk to Ananias and Sapphira about that one. Talk to Demas about that one. Talk to Hymenaeus and Alexander about that one. Well, we've wrapped ourselves in doctrines that teach that stuff doesn't happen. The problem is the Word teaches that it absolutely does. One of the difficulties about traveling to Baton Rouge is every time I do and I see my closest friends, one of the things that happens is when we're asking each other about relationships, people that love Jesus every bit as much as you and more than a lot of you are no longer walking with Jesus. So, oh well, they'll return. Or they might not. You can fall so far and become so blind that lest God do it for you, you cannot return. That's not preached enough. I haven't preached it enough. I've let you down in that regard. Sin has become an easy thing. Grace has become cheap. Repentance has become a one-step, 20-second process. Friends, I know what it is to be so broken by sin and so ashamed of it that you don't know what to do besides say, Lord, I believe that you've cleansed me. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and then act like it. And I'm not speaking against that. I'm not talking about dwelling in self-mortification. But I am talking about getting rid of this light-hearted attitude that, oh well, you know, it's going to happen. Are you kidding me? As we talk about these days of favor, this is not usually what we would describe as favor, is it? I mean, this is one of those messages that you would rather not hear sometimes. Israel describes it as favor because it is your opportunity. There's a day approaching. After the month of Eul, we enter into Tishri. And on the first of Tishri, something happens. They take one of these, and it announces the days of all. It means the time is very, very short. You've had a whole month to contemplate it. If you don't get it right in the next few days, it will not be gotten right. Friends, we keep getting these ridiculous internet prophecies that Gabriel has the trumpet at his mouth, blah, 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 blah. It's biblically unsound, but I don't even want to teach you why tonight, this morning. 
being still like that. The trumpet has been blowing as long as God's word has been going forth as anointed by the Spirit. And it has been saying one thing. Your husband is calling you out. He is calling you out. He is calling you out. What would you do with it? The feasts start with Passover. Pesach. Moves to unleavened bread. Moves to the first fruits. This had to do with Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and the regenerating work of the power of God. Then it moved to Shavuot, or Pentecost. This had to do with a harvest, with divine revelation. And then there was a gap in the schedule, a long gap, where sin occurred and men of God interceded. Moses on the mountain, the three 40-day periods. And then they were granted an opportunity to repent and new life come. It was a time of favor. Yemei Ratzon. Favor because there was still time to get right. The trumpet was going to blow Rosh Hashanah. And when the trumpet sounded on the first of Tishri, you had ten days of all. Ten days to contemplate God before your union with Him at Yom Kippur. After Yom Kippur, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the glorified bodies at Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast schedule is not only the prophetic plan of God that we're moving through, where Paul tells us to wait for the last trumpet. It was also very intertwined with daily life. When God called upon Israel, He said He was their husband. This meant something to all Jews. A husband begins his relationship with his wife. The very beginning of it was, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. It was a dramatic, radical, powerful call out of your present circumstances. There are other promises with it that we'll get to and I will teach you about them. But our relationship with our husband starts with a calling out of whatever you're in. And people are always surprised. But I was in a pretty good place. Then why did he call you out? But it seemed fine to me that he is calling you out. Abraham was called out. Peter John, Andrew, James called out. Turn with me to Corinthians, Second Corinthians 11. If you don't have a pen and you don't attend foundations meetings, and I understand, I don't want a meeting every night so that we destroy families. If you cannot be there, find somebody who is, study with them whenever you can. You're going to want a pen for this. Tell me when you're in 2 Corinthians 11. In the month of Ul, for Israel, they focus on Jeremiah 3. When focusing on Jeremiah 3, one of the things that God said is, I am your husband, and he called them out of their present behavior. He called them out. I'm contending with you today that the Spirit of the living God has always had one message for mankind. Come out of whatever you're involved in and get involved in what I want for you. 
And we say, but, but what about him, Lord? What about him? What is that to thee, follow thou me? Brad may be called from a different place than Mike is called. Mike be, may be called from a different place than Adam's called. This is how it works. It's about an abandonment of your plans, your designs, your thoughts, your feelings, and a becoming one with the God of the universe and accepting His heart, His name, His character, His reputation, all of those things, His righteousness. You have never heard agony, like the agony of a husband who loves and is responsible for his wife and cannot make restitution for her wrong. I worked for a lending company at one time that made high interest loans to people that could get them nowhere else. And a husband called to mortgage his house because his wife had gambling debts that were so severe. The only way that she would not be imprisoned was if she paid the debts and the people dropped the charges. And he could not borrow enough money to keep his wife out of jail. You don't know how he begged and how he pleaded. Come on, men, what would you do to protect your wife from any unpleasant experience? The king of the universe had flesh stripped from his body for you. And that's not even the beginning of the agony. The agony is not physical in nature at all. The agony is he had to experience his father turning away. And somebody who never knew what it was to be broken in contact with God suddenly felt all of your darkness from the darkest moments of your life upon him. You ever been there when a baby, when a toddler experienced a wrong from someone and they had no they were innocent and had no idea why or how, they stick out their hip and they look at you like, this is not fair. God's son experienced that. And he experienced it as a man. No different than you or me. That meant when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not just fulfilling the scripture. He meant it. It was bloody. It was horrible. Nothing. That is hell, my friends. It is hell to be separated from the presence of God. Some of you live in hell now. Some of you extend hell into other people's lives around you. Our husband is calling us out. In modern vernacular, that means something. Mike calls me out, it means that I have to either cower and submit where I'm at or stand. And I'm telling you that the king of the universe is calling you out. He's calling you out because he purchased you. And he took your darkest hour upon him that he might own you. Not part of you, not just to bless you, but that he would own you. The lamb that was slain has purchased your obedience. How dare we make our plans and then lay them at his feet. He is calling us out of our designs, our plans, to a radical obedience that forsakes all except him. 
the same way when you took your wedding vows, you forsook all except your spouse. And he will not share you. How many messages can you sit in and callous your heart and expect that your husband will not notice? Say, Herrick, I don't. My heart breaks every time. I hope to God that's the truth. The day that your heart stops breaking at sin and callousness, you may find yourself with your eyes put out and your head in a prostitute's lap not knowing the Spirit of God has left you. This should break our hearts. But I also want to tell you that as dark as the hour looks, this is where stars shine brightly. Darkness is where we are headed so that we may shine brightly. I noticed something in Lafayette, Louisiana. My wife had a ministry, and I couldn't figure out how does that happen. And I watched. She had a ministry for no other reason than she desperately loved her husband. And the other wives that were around were not filled with that kind of passion. They said things like, my husband is an idiot. They denigrated their husbands to their peers. She stood out for no other reason than she loved her husband. How will you stand out among the peoples of the world for no other reason than you love Jesus? And when you are filled with that for Him, it's not about what movie you watch. This is not about what food you eat. This is not about whose company you hang out in. For Darren that may be okay, and for Dustin it may not be okay. Any one of those things is about, is your life defined in the small moments as well as the large by an overwhelming love for your husband? And when it is, others will surely take note because I tell you, it's not the case in most people's lives. They love their bass boats. They love their reputations. They love their houses. They love their status. But they do not love their husbands. They were gold diggers. They tried to become associated with Jesus so that they could get his blessings. But they wanted nothing of his character. Second Corinthians 11. Pick up with me in verse 1. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness. But you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Husbands are always jealous for their wives if they love them. It is bound up in the heart of men's sin. So much so that it's become a common thing, even from a scientific standpoint. They've tried to explain away men's philandering as some purely animal instinct that simply is a part of life and cannot be assuaged. It's a normal thing for a sinful child to want what someone else has. So it's a normal thing for sinful adults to want what someone else has. 
You know what is never a normal thing? To be willing to give up what you have. Never. That is the bottom of depravity. No husband wants to share his wife with anyone else. The king of the universe is jealous for you, and he will not share you with anyone else. He will not. You want a tearjerker? Pick up the book of Hosea sometime. If you can read Hosea and not be moved to a place of repentance in your own life, I am telling you, you do not have eyes to see. Your heart is covered with such a thick religious layer of sycamore figs. It is so caked with fig leaves that you've lost contact with who and what God is and who and what you are. Maybe too much preaching has been done on the ways God will bless you and what you will inherit and not enough on who He is and who you are. This would be tantamount to telling two young people all that they'll have when they're married, all that they'll have, all they'll possess, but never letting them get to know each other. What would your marriage be about? Well, the average American marriage. What you look like and what you have. Sadly, in church buildings, though not in the church, this is what Christianity has become about. What you look like and what you have. Not for the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ would give her life for her husband the way her husband has given his life for her. And this is borne out in your actions daily. When Jews read these next few verses that you're going to hear, something would come to mind for them. It's verse 2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. A Jewish groom would be presented as a single lifetime groom. I promised you to Christ, to one husband. This sounds redundant for a reason. It would be absurd to a Jew to think that she would be married to two husbands. And that's the point. To say promised you as a pure virgin. Sounds redundant. And that was the point. Jewish grooms accepted virgins as their wives. This is the shadow and type of the church. A one husband and pure bride joining. There is a Jewish wedding custom that you need to know about. Whether you can remember all of these words, certainly remember these parts. This wedding custom is called the Shidduchin. S-H-I-D-D-U-K-I-N. Shidduchin. This is when the father in a household goes himself or takes someone who represents his interest. An attorney, in fact. an Eleazar, a chief steward. And he sends them to enter into negotiations for his bride. The man who goes to negotiate for his for the bride is called the Shad Khan. S-H-A-D-K-H-A-N. Shad Khan. He had a responsibility. Sometimes this was done at birth. Other times later in life. 
His responsibility was to find a pure bride that could be matched to an honorable, pure husband. They negotiated there. The family would experience great loss, so enormous sums were paid to the family that gave up the bride. A dowry to compensate them for the loss of their loved one. They wanted to know that their daughter, their niece, their grandchild was going into a good situation so there was a wedding contract called a ketubah. The ketubah followed a certain format. As my wife, honey, I would like you to commit to having no husbands besides me. It would make me greatly happy if you took their graven images down. No pictures of old boyfriends. You're going to inherit my name on the day that we're joined. Don't misuse it. I've given you and no one else the authority to use my name. One day a week we shall worship God together in a way that we do not on the other days. A special time of sanctification. And sweetheart, this is the way we as a family will treat our fellow men. We'll honor our father and mothers. We'll not lie, not steal, we'll not murder, we'll not bear false witness. Are you hearing a pattern here? Something had to happen. This ketubah was presented, and it was presented with gifts. You can read about this in Genesis 24. Eleazar, the chief steward, presented gifts to Laban's household. Those costly gifts. Then the ketubah was sealed. Something happened. When the bride decided that she was going to meet the groom, and the groom knew that a bride had been selected for him, they took a mikvah, a baptism. They cleansed themselves from all thoughts besides their union with each other. They asked God to make them spiritually ready to become one with one another. Your ketubah is your Bible. Your groom is Jesus. Your mikvah was the beginning of you becoming one with your husband, preparing to. But that's not all that was done. After the mikvah, you move to a time period called an erusion. E-Y-R-U-S-I-N. Erusion. This would be known as the betrothal period. To us to say you're engaged. Cody says he's engaged. Means that they've made a promise and little more. Could be engaged this week, not next week, not engaged. In Bible times, to enter into erusion had all of the legal weight of marriage. You lived in separate homes after this, but you were married to the point that to break engagement required a divorce. You understand that? Apparently, in biblical times, to say yes meant yes. And to say no meant no. And it did not depend upon what your definition of is is. The way that the erosion period began was immediately after the mikvah. And after the mikvah, what would happen is the man would take off his talit, his prayer shawl. And each one of these knots in the talit represent God's commands. He was to pray. This is uh, Old King James' word, prayer closet. 
under this, symbolizing I am submitted under God's commands, I am in right, shalom, authority, peace with Him, so He is hearing me. It's an American thought that you can be outside of the right shalom, outside of the commands of God, and God will do what you want. That's the American genie God. It's not the God of the Israelites. They took that off, and they put four poles out, and the man and the woman who were to be betrothed stood under his headship, his talit. It's called a hopa. You're going to love this. He offers her a glass of wine. He says, in this cup I betrothed you to me. If she drank of his cup, symbolizing his lot in life, she was his wife. If she did not drink of that cup, she was not his wife. It gets even better from here. The time period for betrothal was almost always about a year, which is incidentally enough how we get that custom. But because there's ancestral lands in Israel, if I wanted to marry Jennifer, I would need to go and Send my shotgun. They would negotiate with Fred and Suzanne. There'd be a wedding contract. We would be betrothed. And then she would go back to her house. I would go back to mine. I would have to ask my father if our house was prepared for a bride. And because they were multifamily dwellings, he would require me to build on to my house. My father's house. There are many. We knew that our engagement period would be about a year. I didn't know the exact day or hour because only my father had the right to tell me when the building met his satisfaction. And if it didn't meet his satisfaction, no matter how bad I wanted to go rescue her from whatever was going on, I couldn't. She knew it would be about a year, but she didn't know when I was coming. So she would light a lamp and put it in her window showing that she was ready every night. And it was to never run out of oil. Are you hearing me, saints? In ancient times, there were never wedding invitations. I know a parable will come to your mind. I want you to understand you've misunderstood it just as I did. There were no wedding invitations for the ceremony. The wedding invitations come for the feast celebrating that the ceremony has happened because the ceremony is an absolute, complete, and total surprise. The wedding ceremony is called the Nisuin. N-I-S-S-U-I-N. Nisuin. It comes from the Hebrew verb nasa, which means to carry or bring out. Are you hearing the theme here? The groom made promises during the betrothal period. They were based on Exodus 6.6. very first one, I will bring you out from under their yoke, their way of life. Now, the groom is waiting to go get his bride, to bring her out, but he can't go until the father gives him the word. When the father gives him the word, no matter what day or hour, when the last nail is driven and the dwelling, your glorified body is complete, he says, go get your bride. So the groomsmen took shofars. They blew them in the streets. 
whoever was free, whoever was ready, whoever was waiting for the union, knew that the time had drawn near and was at hand. They looked up and they saw the shofar and they joined the procession. And the groom went to the bride's house and carried her back to the royal dwelling. How beautiful is that? What they had promised somewhere around a year before was now about to come to pass. They stood again under the same hope that they stood under before. They read Exodus 6.6 6 to each other, the promises, bring you out, redeem you with mighty acts of judgment, free you from being slaves to them, take you to be my own. And they drank a cup of wine. Just like there were four cups in Passover, there were multiple cups in a wedding. It must have sounded strange to these Jewish apostles to hear Jesus speaking of the Passover language of cups. It says, in this cup, the third cup, you have redemption in my blood. But it was also exactly the way a groom confirmed he was actually wed to his bride. That he was bringing her out for present circumstances. He said, I will not drink this cup with you again until we do it anew in my Father's kingdom, the fourth cup. And the Passover was the cup that you eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb after you have become one. And He takes you into His dwelling. Not heaven somewhere else. The presence of God on earth. The kingdom of God on earth. The Jewish groom carried her into the presence of God. The man who first arranged all of this, the Shad Khan, was responsible for making sure the bride stayed pure and the husband stayed honorable and that they both lived up to the Ketubah. In our case, the Shad Khan is like Abraham's chief steward. God the Comforter, Eleazar, the Holy Spirit has brought you into contact with the King of Kings. And today, he's trying to make sure that you honor your promise to be pure because the King of Kings is living up to His promise to be honorable towards you. We are waiting for Rosh Hashanah, the trumpet to sound. We're in a time period where we are examining our lives. During that betrothal period, you know what the wife did every day? She made her wedding clothes. You know what the bride of Christ is supposed to be doing right now? Your wedding clothes, Revelation 19 says, are the righteous acts of the saints. You're making your wedding clothes. Elul was prior to the shofar blowing. It was a time for you to examine your wedding clothes. It was a time for you to look at your life and see whether it measures up to the ketubah. It was time to look at your life and see if you were as honorable towards him as he's been towards you. It was the time to make your adjustments and it was considered you had warning to get right before the trumpet blew. Turn with me to Genesis 12. I only have two scriptures left for you.
I'm waiting for everybody in this room to get there. There's no reason for you to be here if you don't want to hear what I have to say. Or we probably won't ever build the gymnasium when we talk like that. Is <laughs> the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, leave your people, your father's household. I want you to think about that. Leave your country, leave your people, your father's household. It sounds like God was severing him from every segment of his existence, his family life, his patriotism, his community connections. And he was saying, come to me. This is the call of a groom. It is the radical call of any disciple, any believer, any bride of Christ. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your family. Leave everything for Him. So ladies, don't tell me that your boyfriend's too important to you. You'll go to hell with him. Husbands, don't you dare tell me that something is too important to you. You'll go to hell with it. Jesus actually taught on this subject and said, if you have to tear your eyes from their socket, do it. If you've got to hack off a limb, do it. This was Jewish speech. Of course he didn't mean for you to tear your eyes out, but he was definitely teaching an attitude. And I do not find it anywhere present in the body of Christ. I need to correct that. It is absolutely present in the body of Christ. It's not present in the buildings named after Christ. Let me remind you again as I remind myself, nowhere in the New Testament does the word church refer to a building. Never. By the way, after your second ceremony under the Hopa, you sat down and feasted with people that came from the four corners of Israel. And you celebrated your union for the whole world to see. That's what wedding invitations were sent out for. Look, they've become one. Look, they've become one. Most of the world will not realize what has happened until we have become one. And after that, it's too late. It's too late. There'll be a day when many who came to a wedding were not dressed properly for it. No righteous acts. There will be a day when many who stand before and say, Lord, Lord, have we not? He's going to say, get out of my sight. You're a worker of iniquity. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land. Listen to this verb tense. I will show you. God never shows a man the end of his calling before he has left where he's at. But what do we do in our salvation calls? Cody, dear Cody, sweetheart, don't you want to go to heaven? Of course, the devil does too. But do you want to spend eternity with him? Our God says, be obedient to me because I am God. And then you find out where you're going. We have so cheapened this that it doesn't look like it should. 
There's no betrothal period. There is no working to get your heart right. There is no becoming truly pregnant with the hope of salvation. So that you can burst forth in joy when you feel clean for the first time. There is only, only decisionism. In fact, if somebody really moves towards repentance, we usually comfort them right away. Oh, baby, it's going to be okay. He'll forgive anything. Really? Is that what the Word teaches? There are circumstances under which anything can be forgiven. All of them require repentance first. All of them. It'd be interesting for us to talk to Esau one day, won't it? He just didn't know the sinner's prayer and the greasy grace that was available. But after all, all that's that old bad covenant, right? Friends, if you cannot accept what I'm telling you out of the older covenant as the Word of God, then you can never again enter a two-story building. The new covenant is based and built upon the first. And you cannot enter into the second without walking through the first. This would be just as ridiculous as trying to jump to a second story where no first story existed. If you don't believe that the new covenant is based upon the old, why is it quoted through all 27 books? Why did the men, the only book that they carried was it? All scripture useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness, that scripture is the older covenant. But this is part of our plan, isn't it? Just give me the cliff notes, man. What day do I have to show up and what do I have to say to get the goodies? That's not marriage, that's prostitution. Go to the land I will show you. God has called each of you. And it is not just once. It is daily. What are you doing today, Fred? Because I got something else for you to do. This is the voice of Jesus. What are you doing today, Jen? Because I have something else I want you to do. That is the voice of Jesus. We love to hang our plaque on a date in history where we answered the call. The question is not, did you answer the call, but are you answering it? Demas answered the call. Hymenaeus, Alexander answered the call. Judas answered the call. Do you answer it still? Tell me, how many people do you know that have entered into covenant with each other? but do not walk in that covenant now. Now you understand what I'm talking about. The bride of Christ is pure. She's spotless. She's cleansed by Him. The call from Abraham forward has been come out of everything that you're involved in and let your life revolve around what I will show you. You don't even get the satisfaction of knowing the end of the process. You just know it'll be with Him. I was going to have you turn to Matthew 4, but it's not necessary. Jesus walks up to people involved in their normal daily activity. Do you remember what the daily activities were? They were fishing. They were fishing in what? Their family business. What did Jesus say? Come follow me. This is a Jewish groom saying, come out that you might be united with me. Forsake everything that you might do what I tell you to do, that we might have fellowship, a perfect unity. It wasn't just two brothers, it was four. 
and the same coal. The same spirit that has been going from Abraham to now has the same coal. You want to be part of the bride of Christ? Come out from among them and be holy. Set yourselves apart as sanctified for Him. Saints, this is what the month of Elul is about. We will teach you what Rosh Hashanah is about. We will teach you what Yom Kippur is about. And we will teach you what Sukkot is about. But make no mistake, without going through the sixth month, you do not get to the seventh. Do you hear me? It is not possible to be united to the Lamb without sharing His thoughts, His heart, His interest, His spirit now. This church is one that I am proud of. And when I worshipped here today, I felt His presence like the very first time I ever did. If you're not getting that, if you're not feeling that, maybe you need to look further than our praise and worship or the pastor's preaching. Maybe you need to look further than your salvation experiences and your personal relationship that you've been taught to regurgitate like a tape recorder. And ask the question, how united is my heart with His? And what proves on a daily basis that I'm coming out and following Him? There is no price a husband won't pay to redeem his bride. If she doesn't want to be his bride, he's not going to make her. Y'all stand to your feet. These are the days of favor. The days in which you have the opportunity to contemplate these things. The days in which the offer, you have the opportunity to make course correction. The day in which the trumpet is still approaching is not upon you. The days of favor. You may resolve. I'm going to be honest. I walked in this building exhausted. And I feel as if I've not quite hit my stride. I'm so full of His Spirit right now. There is no greater joy than knowing His heart is intermingled with yours and yours with His. There would be no altar call today. There'd be no box to check off on your list. When you yearn for someone badly enough, you would drive across the country to spend a moment with them. You don't need the music set right, the lights dim low. You would do anything for it. If that's where your heart is, you are so invited here. We will find your life inspiring. It'll spur us on. We will do the same for you. If you have no interest in that, go somewhere else. You'll find your kind everywhere. This place is for the precious stones of the king that want to be polished. Mighty God. This is too great a subject. This is too serious of a thing. Read from our rote, memorized prayers. 
I ask you this moment, mighty God, to confirm your word with a demonstration of its power in the hearts of these people. Lord, when they are united with you, when they stay in the vine, they will bear much fruit. And all we want to do, all I want to do, is see them bear the fruit that you have called them to bear. And I believe it is an abundant harvest. Lord, I thank you for your beautiful bride, your spotless bride, your bride beautifully adorned. I repent, Lord God, for even confusing my words on the subject. Your church is radiant. And you have included us in that. Let us live up to your high expectations of us, Lord. Let us return to our husband. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.